You're tuned into Some Context Please, a podcast from the team at Foundry Creative School. The concept behind this is to draw some contextual lines between the professional industry and what our students are learning. Of course, you don't need to be an active Foundry student. This is for anyone interested in the creative industries. I'm your host, Matt Leach, and for this season, I'm joined by two leaders of industry, Cat Top and Paul Sharp, and we're exploring advertising. This is episode seven in a season of eight. That makes it the second last episode for this season. Wow, it comes around so fast. This episode, we look into new media. This is advertising that uses technology to reach customers, specifically on the internet. New media is interactive. It consists of websites and blogs and vlogs and visual and audio podcasts, RSS feeds, and of course, social networking. Social media is a huge component of new media, and it's what we're focusing on this episode. Now, Paul and Kat were already in the advertising game when social media first started really coming out, so they were in the driver's seat, so to speak, to see the impact and learn how to use this new tech. I asked Kat whether it had been a positive thing. Yes, absolutely. There's been many changes for the better because of social media. It gives you a creative outlet that's just not the hard sell because it's challenged people to try to get people's attention in a space where they don't want advertising intruding upon their what they're doing. So right. that's like a really interesting challenge that has made people be more creative. I pressed Kat on this because I wanted to understand the challenges and how it differed from what had come before. The challenge is to not get people to skip past yeah. it. And I think that means people create more interesting work because you can offer a bit of value to someone. You can shock and disrupt them with your amazing revelations. Like there's a bit more freedom to appeal to what they want personally than there is to a wider broadcast mechanism when you're kind of just like talking to whoever might listen. So it's this idea of being able to really target the exact person you want to talk to something that traditional media just can't do. Paul, on the other hand, doesn't think it's all been a bed of roses. First of all, I would warn everyone wanting to get into advertising that social is another media space that as a creative you are obliged to have answers for and to fill. Once upon a time you only had to write a TV script and maybe write a poster. Now you have to write a TV script, several different cut downs, several different variants, several out of home posters, several social posts for different platforms, and indeed any activation idea or guerrilla idea or earned media idea that you can think of as well in the same time frame. <laughs> right. So it hasn't made life easier. No. It, in a way, it's taken over one channel, which is print. So, you know, the print ad. It still exists. People do still look at some forms of magazines, some forms of uh, printed media, newspapers, financial reviews and stuff like that. But it's it's definitely a bar lower. And in essence, a good social media ad is pretty much like a print ad, combining a good visual with a good caption or headline to stop people in their scrolling tracks. Scrolling seems to be the key term that Paul and Kat have both used, stopping people from scrolling past your ad. Kat has suggested you might want to offer something to them so it's less about the hard sell and more about what you can give them. If you Google search, you'll find a bunch of articles all promising to have the answer. They'll be titled things like four proven ways to stop people scrolling past your social ads. And they'll offer things like create attention-grabbing headlines or use animation to grab eyes and other inane things like that. 
To me, this just shows that we haven't really nailed it down yet, which is typical of a new technology. One of the most solid pieces of advice is knowing where your target market is. There are quite a few social media platforms now, all offering a slightly different thing and therefore getting a slightly different audience. How do you choose the right one? Uh, it's a good question, and there is a process to that. So in an initial broader brand presentation or broader product presentation, we will give a few example social posts. So we might put like a little Instagram story idea and we'll put a couple of Facebook posts in there. And if there's a clever way of sort of disrupting that platform, then we'll put that in there as well. Because sometimes putting in a, a neat little social idea can get the client over the line on the bigger brand idea because they get excited by seeing how it stretches out onto those other platforms. And they go, ah, oh, I see now how that works across there and there and there. This is a good idea. This yeah. isn't just a TV script on 30 seconds. But then what will happen subsequent to that is there'll be work and conversations with the media buyers and they will work out what their media budget is for social. And there'll be a bit of more sort of consideration as to which of those media channels is probably going to be best based on the audience that they want to reach and how much they want to spend you will usually be given a set of like formats as we talk about when you get the brief they'll be like okay we're thinking that this client has channels in facebook and instagram they generally do twitter if it's appropriate like snapchat and tiktok if you want to appeal to a younger audience, it makes sense to do that. Yeah. So you kind of get a selection of channels that you might talk to. Then you have to think up your big idea and what it is. And you just face the challenge of making it interesting and getting people to engage because actually it's really hard to get people to do something. Back in the days of early social media, there'd be campaigns where it's like, submit a video of you doing this. And the ask seemed to be much harder of yeah. the consumer. And now it's kind of like, like this. And, you know, they, they kind of understand. There's more understanding that people are not going to really do much for you, even if you offer them a Jeep. This is so true. I mean, a Jeep is pretty amazing, but it has to be something pretty exceptional if you want me to give you even more stuff on top of all the privacy data you already get. Speaking of privacy. Traditionally, there's a there's always a buy on Facebook. And I think that's because a lot of the brand consumerism happens to be sort of people above the age of mid twenties. And as we know, Facebook is more that province of Gen X now than it is of Gen Y or in millennials or Gen Z. That's not to say that um, there are generations and demographics who are more willing to be creative and co-create because the Gen Z are much more into it, kind of. As TikTok, things like that will show you, you don't have to do much as a brand to get people involved. We worked on a campaign for Torrens University. We created a personality quiz, a simple, like, but funny, cute, online personality quiz we gave it to a couple of tiktok guys and like instantly they just did whatever the hell they wanted with it yep. and that just got tens of thousands of wow. interactions when you know and that i don't think would have cost the brand that much to get them to do that because they're just like kids doing their things yeah. they're not like massively influential but they're just entertaining and authentic and it was really effective Okay, we're going to get to TikTok, but I want to stick with Facebook for a second 
maybe because I'm Gen X, but I wanted to know whether Facebook was still viable. There's been a ton of privacy issues with Facebook, and consequently, there's a lot of distrust about the platform now, with many of the younger generation flat out refusing to join up at all. Is it time to retire Facebook as a priority channel? It's funny. I think the issues that Facebook has been having are more of a turn-off to a radicalized audience, which is the younger audiences, the millennials. But they've moved on anyway. You only have to look at TikTok figures to sort of know. And my daughter, who is a avid consumer of TikTok, will tell you that no one's really looking at Facebook anymore from their generation. Yeah, I don't think that you do retire them. You're right that they become less relevant channels to um, engage with people. But there was always something more simple to do on them. And actually, the shiny new toys that are constantly coming in don't tend to last either. But yeah, it's been a while since I've I've done anything on Twitter. And generally, Facebook is just repurposing bits of film or... But, you know, Facebook also, people follow brands they like and... If you're a food brand and you're on Facebook, give people the recipes and they'll probably love you for it. Like just give people useful functionality, entertain them, inform them. It still works. What's your favorite social media channel? Instagram. Just because that is one that I live and breathe, that I know inside and out. And it's just a really nice, creative kind of space. So I enjoy Instagram. But TikTok's fun too. Uh, Snapchat is cool for functionality, I think, because I love fashion and you can do cool augmented reality things like trying on what would this shade of makeup look like on you. So Snapchat's not over yet, even though people claim it is sometimes. So it depends on what is like useful and what people actually engage with. So it's really about finding where the audience is. For that particular brand. Yes, absolutely. Older bank clients who want to be on TikTok and appeal to 13-year-olds. I'm just like, doesn't quite make a lot of sense, but it's a new channel and you want to engage on it. So you're right. Make it like really, really relevant to who you're talking to. Kat mentioned the shiny new toys that are constantly trying to come in. And she's already talked about TikTok and Snapchat and, and the suggestions that Snapchat may already be on the way out. How do you keep up to date with all that? Stay ahead of the curve. What's in and what's out? It isn't that hard to stay, not necessarily ahead of the curve, but to keep on the curve, I think is a better answer. Because the curve doesn't literally happen overnight. It it takes a a few months or even a year to sort of begin to to form and formalise into something that people are paying attention to and realising is a thing. And not just a, an overnight thing like a vine or something like that. So TikTok, when you think about it, it's reaching maturity now or has done over the last sort of year. But it took a good year and a half, two years to sort of build to that place. And therefore, people are kind of, you know, people are quite quick to sort of mobilize into think about how they can use it. And, and obviously TikTok themselves are thinking the same thing at the same time because they want to uh, commoditize what they're putting out there and want to make it easy for marketers to be able to use that platform. What about from the advertiser's point of view? Like, is there a competition between agencies to be the first to use a platform successfully? 
Yes, even if it's not appropriate for you as a brand to get involved. Yeah. Because <laughs> your people aren't there. But, and I think it's maybe it comes from a advertising fame point of view, from the creative perspective right. of we want to be seen as an innovative agency who gets fame and does something first before everyone else does it. So you're absolutely right. As soon as there is a new platform, people will be thinking, okay, how can we like insert ourselves here or be the first brand to do something because it's not being saturated with everyone else following. There's always a drive to be the people who used a particular platform first, but it tends to be a drive by, and this goes back to the risk averse or the people who've got their ear to the ground better. And so you're more culturally aware and savvy brands like your sort of Nikes and Apples and stuff like that will be lifestyle brands tend to be the first to jump onto new platforms because they're already aware that they're happening and shaping and and they also need to be seen to be culturally appropriate. But, you know, an insurance brand doesn't need to worry about TikTok for a little while. (laughs) Or do they? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe they have to worry about what their kids are up to. I think Paul's answer at the end there demonstrates perfectly how quickly the social industry is moving. TikTok for insurance? Of course not. Last week. This week? Maybe. I wanted to know whether there was a need to be constantly educating yourself and learning all these platforms just just in case. I think it depends what you want out of life. (laughs) Personally, I just like the big idea. I like think... A great idea, an amazing insight is like classic and timeless. And that is what I like want to hone and forever perfect. But I do think that you should keep an eye on what's going on. But I don't think you have to be an expert in every single new thing because it's really hard to keep on top of. It's that kind of balance thing, isn't it? Because as soon as you start focusing too much on another area, you're lessening your opportunity to focus on the big idea as well that's it and sometimes if I've worked in agencies that very much focus in social media or digital people can sometimes just do innovation for innovation's sake not that anyone in the real world would actually use it or that their mum would understand (laughs) so is that a little bit like being first again yeah absolutely being first being and and it's more to like please each other than to like talk to a consumer many different areas within the creative industries fall into this trap where we get overexcited about one-upping each other and forget what our core job is. This is especially true when new tech or a shiny new toy comes along. And this is the part of the reason I'm not a huge fan of award ceremonies that give prizes for using new tech. It tends to be the industry getting applause from industry for how clever we are rather than whether it's actually doing the job. Sorry, slightly off topic. Where was I? Okay, new media, social platforms, they have a major benefit over traditional media. It's constantly capturing very specific and accurate data. You can see how many people viewed your ad, how many people clicked through to a website, how many people bounced when they got there, or the exact time they chose to stay. In my mind, this feels like it has to start influencing the way you actually create the ad. Yes, it does. Like when we were talking about the YouTube example, that's a really nice way to use data to like serve someone something that they might pay attention to instead of just skip over. 
It's like slightly sinister, the things that you can do with data, because it's just, you know, they can know how old you are. Are you married? What are you interested in? What are your shopping behaviors? Where are you? And get really, really targeted and serve you stuff. So for example, as a consumer, I use it to my own advantage. When I am interested in potentially buying something, I'll just leave it in my shopping basket. And then a few days later, that brand is going to email me and give me a discount or get it in my face. So, you know, maybe work the system. (laughs) I love this tip and it works. I just bought some new shoes and I tried putting them in the basket and then quitting out after I put my contact details in. And a day later, I got a 20% off voucher. Wow. I'm really getting off topic this episode, aren't I? Paul thinks data can be both good and bad. Yeah, you get to a point where the data begins to take over from the concept and often you'll get a brief that's that's been put together through data accumulation and it doesn't really it doesn't really touch on any human emotion and a lot of what we do has to you know we're we're connecting with people we're trying to put a message out there that makes people go we get you and when you're talking from a place of data if you haven't really considered properly how that aggregates into a way of speaking to people then you're just sort of it's it becomes a very dry message it's a feedback loop and that doesn't really necessarily engage anyone but i'm not saying that data considered and aggregated and then extracted properly and and strategized properly cannot lead to something brilliant and it certainly can and so you're implying there that you can use data as part of the ideation phase? Yeah, totally. And this goes back to a very fundamental practice of strategy where the planners will do research to formulate a brief and they will ask questions of test audiences. And that all that is is accumulation of data to get to a, an agreement, to get to a, a sort of aggregation that, that, hey, we found a thing that a lot of people are saying and it seems to resonate how do we articulate it in a piece of communication that, that makes them go nod their heads? Paul brings up a good point about talking to humans. If it's too data-driven, it'll sound robotic and unemotive. This is something that Kat agrees with. I don't think like creative, creative should be run by numbers. It's not as easy as follow what the data says because as a creative human being with insights, you can like completely go against the data and actually break through and be really interesting So the danger is like inhibiting yourself or taking the wrong lessons from data because actually how how intelligent is data all the time? Not all the time, doesn't get it right. And it's all down to who's interpreting it for you. Like in the industry, data analysts have like a great role to play, but (laughs) sometimes (laughs) you're just like, what? (laughs) You're a human. So you are flawed by nature when you are looking at interpreting data. You know, it's not a um, God-like device of all-knowing power. So what about the opposite side? You know, after the ad's done, do you use data to prove that it was successful? You should. You absolutely should. And there are people who are really tracking that sort of stuff. But I'm going to tell you honestly, as a creative, when I'm asked to create a next big campaign, I am told not much of what was very effective from the last one. And I think that's something that would be 
interesting and helpful to know. Like, I don't think that we always use all the data measurements to improve or be more effective or like to impart lessons to a creative team. Maybe media specialists have more use for it. But yes, I rarely get to see it. So yes, data is good to understand your audience and I guess give you some avenues to kind of explore as part of your ideation. But it's also good to see how your ad is going, whether it's being successful or not. You've got instant data. You can be looking in real time at at how your piece of communication is tracking and what responses you're getting and you can evaluate that. And you get a lot of dynamic, especially when you're looking at sort of digital display ads you get a lot of dynamic formats where you can change out a headline straight away and and similar to that youtube offers versions where you can put in different headlines and to sort of talk to different audiences and be be quite topical to something that's happened or to what people are watching sort of by way of trend viewing so you can change your messaging quite quickly Um, you could create a campaign that has a, B or C kind of variations to the creative and test which is more effective and then change it. So that is like quite a cool thing to do to like hone um, what you're doing out there quite quickly and um, cheaply. Which is quite different to traditional media, isn't it? Because traditional media, you, you complete it and you hand it over. But then with social, it feels like you're still in the game even as, as yeah. it's rolling out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think because it's generally can be cheaper and faster to do, you don't have to go, you don't have to book media or spaces as much. You can do it a bit on the fly just because technology is at your fingertip. Is that segmented media? It is segmented media because you are specifically talking to people who are looking at this or people who are looking at that. So there is a that's all part of the algorithms that they can kind of adhere to. I, I think they can do it to a certain level. Certainly with Facebook and social media platforms, Instagram, etc., you can be very targeted. You can get down to a micro level of what age, what sports pursuits, what business, anything that anyone has offered up by way of information about themselves can be served back to marketers to talk to that person. That goes into uh, invasion and privacy, but... (laughs) Tell me more about that. Well, there's a point where marketing can get creepy. Yeah. (laughs) When you're being followed by an ad, I mean, at the moment, and I say this to anyone listening, that you probably have found an instance where you've talked about something and then the next moment you see a banner ad in your browser selling you a product related to that thing you were talking about. And I mean... There's a lot of conversation about how invasive that is, how creepy that is. I think it's a bit of a turn-off. Some people might find it a novelty, but there hasn't been a massive backlash to it, so hence they continue to do so. It can be a little bit scary, but it can also be incredibly effective. Social media segmentation is vital to targeting key audience demographics, and it's something I wanted to touch upon. Understanding it has been proven to boost your cut through and save you and your client time and money. We've mentioned it briefly when we've talked about younger people not using Facebook, so therefore you wouldn't use Facebook to try and market to them. But you can cut it even finer, like a lot finer, and change the messaging you might be sending based on where they live or their taste or what they've liked previously or articles they're reading. You can get really deep. 
two people standing next to each other could get served two very different messages. It means you need to create twice or three times as many ads, but you're more likely to engage three times as many people just because you can target to them directly. Just taking personal information about yourself, like your gender, age, demographic, where you are, how many kids you are, um, what you've done in the past, and using all that information to target communications in various channels. So where does advertising and marketing, it feels like there's a crossover there? Yeah, maybe it's more um, automated. So it's not so much of a creative process. It's more like you build a set of information that you might say to different people and then you serve it up at different times. Mm -hmm. So you can, if someone's watched something once and they're of a particular demographic, you can then target them again and try to push them to buy it more or you could try it in a different way. So there's all sorts of ways to keep pecking at a consumer until they do something that you want them to do. And would you say that is more marketing than advertising? Yeah, probably. That's where it sort of takes over. Yeah, I think that's a fair shout to say that it is more uh, functional. Yeah. And do you have marketers in-house or do you work externally with other? I guess that would be down to account services should have more of an idea of this marketing mm-hmm. kind of functionality and they do as well as media planners and and you'll have more data-led people in your social teams when bigger agencies are often kind of like broken down into teams of specialism sometimes so they will be in-house sometimes um, or you can um, get the information externally or you can also just directly approach like YouTube or Google or Facebook and tell them I want to do this kind of campaign how do I break it down and make it super super effective and they are very willing to kind of help because it helps them sell themselves more to other people. It's so funny, yeah, because you just don't think about that. They are still a product, aren't they? Yes, they are. And they will come around to your creative agency a few times a year (laughs) and try to sell the wares by just showing case studies of effective ways to kind of use those channels. So it's interesting. I'm sure some people would disagree, but I feel like we're heading back into that manipulation thing we talked about right at the beginning of the season. Except... This data-driven manipulation seems a bit darker because we don't really understand what we're playing with. Or I should say, some people really understand what levers to pull, but it's not an even playing field at the moment. With machine learning just around the corner, there's a very real case for the computers knowing us more than we know ourselves. And the algorithm starts to dictate exactly what we see and what we can't see. We're seeing this in the media at the moment. If you are left-leaning, you're unlikely to get served up any right-wing opinions. Therefore, you really can't even try to understand the other side's point of view. We've been segmented so much, we end up living in an echo chamber. Now, obviously, advertising is not there at the moment. At least we think it's not. How would we even know? I feel like I should be finishing with some spooky music from the Twilight Zone. But that's all we've got time for this session. And we've only got one more to go. Next episode, we're going to be looking a little bit more optimistically at the future of advertising. We'll also explore the presenting side of it and how to present well to a client and how to get over those nerves. 
Finally, Paul and Kat will also give us some tips about how you might continue learning about advertising and what you should do if you see yourself in this industry one day in the future. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, don't be shy about reaching out and letting us know what you think. Some Context Please is produced by Foundry and executive produced by me, Matt Leach. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can find me on Twitter at Leachworth or find Foundry on Instagram at MyFoundryLife. Foundry is an Australian creative school designed to bridge the gap between education and industry. We work with top creative leaders from all creative disciplines to design courses that help you find your passion and turn it into a career. To find out more about Foundry's current courses and upcoming intakes, visit foundry.com.au.